When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. Welcome in, Buckeye Nation. This is your host, Christopher Rennie, bringing you another episode of the Bug Off Podcast with Land Grant Holy Land. I'm joined by Jordan Williams today. And after another crazy week of Ohio State football news, we got a lot of confirmation on what's next for the Buckeyes. And, you know, there's a lot of other stuff and talk, you know, first day of camp as we're recording today. And I just want to welcome in Jordan right now. How are you doing today, Jordan? Man, I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. It's always fun to record when there's a, a lot going on. I feel like it's going to be that way from just from now on because either we're going to have big news out of camp or we're going to have football games to talk about. So slow season's over. Yeah, it's actually been pretty crazy because even though we've been kind of just hinting that there's going to be this summer lull and stuff to talk about, we really haven't had any sort of slow show or anything along the lines where we don't fill up the hour hour and a half with content and i guess you got to be thankful but i guess college football as always is the news gift that keeps on giving you can't really complain about it especially when you're in our shoes and we have more to talk about today it's official quinn ewers has reclassified he's going to be joining up with the buckeyes we have the start of fall camp today as we're recording you guys will be listening to this friday we're going to give you a few thoughts on that you know it's early so nothing really is coming up and some big NIL news, uh, as you mentioned earlier to me, I've been kind of on the road this week. I'm moving back to Ohio, so I've been kind of scrambling all week. So Jordan's kind of been the one building the show plan, and we're going we're going for it with the NIL stuff again. Uh, Ohio State group licensing, big stuff, uh, realignment's always a conversation right now with everything going on, and then our top five wide receivers since 2005 for you guys. So. Overall, I, I think it's going to be a loaded show today. I think Jordan's excited to talk about it. Uh, Jordan, uh, kick us off. How do you feel about Quinn Ewers reclassifying? 
Um, really, I, I've been thinking about it, and I don't have I don't have too much more to say than what we talked about last week. Um, I think it's great that he made that decision. That is good for him. I I still think it's better for him as a person, as a as a as a businessman for his name, image, and likeness than it is for him as a football player. Um, I actually wrote my first and possibly my only because I am not a writer uh, article for Land Grant Holy Land, where basically I just explain why I feel that, you know, Quinn Ewers um, coming in early actually helps Kyle McCord. Uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm alone in that. Uh, maybe I'm a hater. I don't know. I just feel like I have a hard time believing no matter how talented you are, that at 17, 18, you're going to come in and win the job over three players who are ranked just as good or very close to you and have had either eight months to 20 months or whatever in the program with the offense, with um, the strength and conditioning, all that other kind of stuff. So uh, I think it's interesting. It, it gives a lot of news, a lot for us to talk about, a lot for other people to talk about. Personally, I am a little tired of some of the things that are being said on Twitter, especially by people who aren't close to Ohio State, whether that be like fans or like national media. But I mean, I, I think the most interesting thing about all of it has nothing to do with Quinn and more along the facts of, are we going to see this? You see this a lot in basketball. I mean, just today, Amani Bates reclassified to 2021. He was the number one player in 2022. It happens all the time in basketball, just with the way that their seasons and stuff work. Um, but I think the most interesting thing is, are we going to are we going to see this continue to happen or is Texas and Florida going to change their laws? Which one happens first? I'll be looking out for. Yeah, I think you bring up a lot of interesting points. I've been able to keep up with a lot of Ohio State content, but I did get to read your article and I think it was really well thought out. Uh, I think the main aspect that I think a lot of fans are totally disregarding are the nuances to the quarterback position, especially in a complex offense like Ryan Day's. This isn't a walk in the park, regardless of how talented he is. And then on top of that, I think the amount of discrediting to the other guys in the room. C.J. Stroud, as I said last week, ultra-talented quarterback, five-star in some recruiting services, high four-star in the composite. Kyle McCord, legitimate five-star recruit, has been a five-star since his first ranking. Like This is no joke for him. Uh, you know, Jack Miller was a very highly-touted quarterback recruit before he got up, and I'm not saying Jack Miller's going to win the job, but the assumption, there's two assumptions I'm missing here and I don't understand is I don't believe there's going to be a mass exodus in quarterbacks. I think we keep three out of the four of them. And I don't think Quinn Ewers walks in and just ends up starting at quarterback. Uh, he's not going to show up, but we don't know when he's going to get to camp. We don't know how ready he's going to be to compete at that level in camp. And I think the worst thing to do with a 17-year-old quarterback would be to rush him into that, be to throw him into the fire. It's absolutely like, ridiculous that fans think this kid coming from South Lake Carroll in Texas is going to just immediately light up the world. And I know we might be talking and getting our heads put on a friggin' pitchfork for saying this, but quarterbacks are really hard position. Quarterbacks, not something you just wake up and are good at. It takes countless hours of work and with a new offense, with a new playbook. And yes, he's probably had it for months, but being in the room, evaluating film, the report with receivers, all that stuff takes time to build. And you're not just going to walk up day one and have that. So I think we're on the same page here. I think it's an interesting move for him from the NIL side, from making money, 
from getting to campus early. I don't think it changes the quarterback battle for 2021. I think it makes 2022 a lot more interesting of a decision, depending on how much he progresses, how much Cal McCord progresses, how much CJ Stroud progresses. And I just think it's just, it's just more a talking point for people because they think, Oh yeah, this guy's the best crew we've ever had. That means he's immediately supposed to start. That's not the case. If he got here next year, uh, maybe we get a situation, but I think like a lot of people are saying, there's not a single Kelly Bryant in Ohio state's quarterback room. No, not at all. And I think that's important because let's be honest. Oh, let me ask you a question. Jack Miller, of the just the Big Ten, we have 14 teams. How many teams do you think he's starting on right now? Right now, that's not Ohio I, State. I think he'd for sure start on at least six or seven. I know there's some incumbent starters. It's I, I'd probably set it at the middle as a safe bet. I think there's like nine or ten he'd probably be in the competition to start right away. Immediately. Literally the only ones that – if you take – if. If it's a true competition, like everyone that's on the team, regardless of incumbent started, if it's a true competition, I think it gets almost to like 10 or 11. If you, I agree with you. If you look at the incumbent starters, like the um, Tagovailoa and uh, some the of the Sean other ones. Like, the, those guys, right. yeah. Well, I think you would take Sean Clifford's job. But I think but, he, I think they'd go with Sean Clifford first yeah, and then they right. realize he's bad and then Jack right. Miller would be the guy. Similar to exactly. the Kelly Bryant situation. Exactly. But he's very talented. CJ Stroud is starting at 13 of the 14. And the the only reason I say 13 is I think Indiana loves Michael Penix. Uh, And I don't think I think that's another one where, like, they're just not going to give up that job. I think CJ Stroud is talented enough to take the job from anyone else. But Indiana loves Michael Penix. And after what he did last year, he's not losing that job unless he gets injured again, which I hope he doesn't, because I definitely want to see a full strength Indiana and want to see if they can if they can build off of it. Um, Kyle McCord, same thing. He's starting at eight or nine schools. Penn State would love to have him. Sean Clifford wouldn't have been the starter if they got Kyle Kyle McCord. McCord. But they didn't because they terrible at recruiting Pennsylvania. So I just think we need to take a step back. Celebrates. Call me old school. I missed when quarterback sat for two or three years, started for two years, and went to the league. Like, I get it with the transfer, and I, you, you have to be worried about it and stuff like that. But I think quarterbacks should know that, hey, one, the grass isn't always greener. Uh, and two, just because some people start as a freshman um, doesn't mean you should expect that. Uh, I don't know if you listen to Ari Wasserman or if you have um, – the athletic, but him and Andy Staples, they always do this thing where they're talking about if you gave a coach truth serum and and to steal their little thing for half a second, I think if you gave every coach in the nation truth serum, they would tell you they never want to start a true freshman quarterback. Some are very good. I mean, Sam Howe was great. Um, the quarterback at Auburn was decent his freshman year, but and, and it works out. I'm not saying you shouldn't, but I don't think anyone, it is ideal for them to start a true freshman quarterback. And one yeah. who missed their senior year of high school, I don't know. Yeah, I think you're on to something there because, you know, yes, the only time you really ever see a true freshman start is he either came in and absolutely outshined everyone, which means you're probably worse off a quarterback to begin with, or it's out of pure necessity. Yep. You know, so I I think the overall theme of this is I think me and you are both excited to see Quinn Ewers reclassify. I think we're both excited to welcome into the Ohio State program. I think – as a fan, you should be excited to get another great quarterback in the room because as any football coach has ever said in their life, 
Iron sharpens iron. It's going to elevate C.J. Stroud's game. It's going to elevate Kyle McCord's game. It's going to elevate Jack Miller's game because they all know that the competition just got thicker. Like, they know what the fan base is seeing. C.J. Stroud's on Twitter. These guys are on Twitter. They see it. They hear the voices. They know what's happening. And I just can't envision a world where a guy shows up late to camp and overtakes an extremely talented or two extremely talented young guys. Yeah, the one, the other thing I'll say is because I know I've said all I've said about Kyle McCord, but if you Ewers, Quinn Ewers does win this job, I will say, as much as I think he should have stayed in high school for the future of the Ohio State program, this is probably the best thing that could happen. Um, as long as they don't start him, in my opinion, to like 2023, because he gets multiple years in the system with the coaches and the weight room, like he, like just like physically and mentally, by the time he becomes a starter, as again, I'm projecting 2023, he's going to be so far ahead of like anyone else. And this, you could say the same thing about Kyle McCord if he doesn't win this job. But I just think like if he's everything that he says he is and talented talent wise, he's the best quarterback in the room, even though we don't think he's going to win, giving him two years and our system with our coaches at practice, iron sharpening iron with coach Mick, all of that kind of stuff. I mean, 2020, like I, he's going to win the Heisman. Like he's going to win the Heisman, which Ohio state hasn't had in forever. And a lot of people are worried that he's going to be a one and done starter, but if it's one and done in a national title, I don't think anyone's going to complain about it. Yes. Yeah, so no. like, Oh, we should have got a more, but I think the issue with the way people are perceiving that is this year, this team's going to be generally young no matter what. So I think the expectation is always national championship. I think this team has the talent to do it. But if Quinn Ewers started, if CJ Stroud struggles early, if one of these guys was young and struggled early, there's a lot of places in the first three games where hiccups could happen. Not saying they will. I'm just projecting here, like worst case scenario that's in play. And I don't think you want to put Quinn Ewers through that. I don't think you want to put CJ Stroud through that. I don't think you want any of the quarterbacks to struggle at first, but it's a realistic possibility. They're all first year starters. Uh, They have a lot of growing to do. I think in a year or two years, if Quinn Ewers does take the job, it'll be when he's ready. And I think that's the most important thing when it comes to quarterbacks is them being ready. We've seen it before. It's not often you get a guy who's JT Barrett and he comes in and is better as a freshman and worse as he gets older. Like it's very rare that happens. So I guess what I'm trying to say here is I think this really strengthens the room. Uh, I kind of want to hear your take on what you think happens to the room. Cause I, I already said, like, I think we keep three. I think one leaves depending on how all the competition stays out. So I, th- I think, and it, it's kind of hard. Jack Miller is Jack Miller is the the weird one because you you keep saying something that like really sticks with me. Like Jack Miller could be Mac Jones. Like he could just never transfer. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that I would choose that if I was his parent or his lawyer because you can have agents and stuff for the NIL. I don't know if I would choose that. But he could be because of his connection uh, to Ohio State. But ideally, not even ideally, what I do think is going to happen is he's going to stay. He's going to be third on the death chart and he's going to transfer after the spring or after the season to get a head start on the spring. I don't know that he gets, you know, like in Alabama or Clemson or something like that. But I think he goes to like Arizona, Arizona State, Iowa State would be. 
uh, is it Iowa State or Oklahoma State? Do you do you remember which school has Brock Purdy? Uh, Iowa State. Iowa State. He should be graduating. Like going to a school like that. It's still a good school. Division one needs to. I think I see him starting somewhere like that. And then I think C.J. Stroud or whoever the winner. Quinn and Kyle McCord are here next season as well. I think those are the three next year. Um, and I think who McCord and Ewers fight for the job in 2023. It's two years. Two years is not that long no, when you were I think Quinn, Quinn's kind of coming in with the approach. Like he's going to have to work really hard to supplant yep. these guys. And I don't think he's coming in with the idea in mind that he's going to win it this year. I think he's going to come in with the mind that he's going to get way better this year, get physically stronger. And then come and compete in 2022. And it was only one interview, and you don't know how he feels internally. But I think Kyle McCord has that same mindset. He said in the interviews that he doesn't he doesn't feel any pressure to win the job now. He's a freshman. I don't think he expected to come in and win. It's great. His talent level is so high that he's competing for the job. But there was a really there was a good chance he could have came in, and they would have been like, "Hey, this is CJ Stroud's job. You don't get to compete," and he would have stayed. I don't think I think the media and fans kind of hype up quarterbacks. If you look at it, quarterbacks really don't transfer as much as people say that they do. And the ones that typically transfer are unfortunately like Take Martell, who just transfer multiple times because they don't really find that. So I think we have I think we have CJ. Um, I'm sorry. I think we have Kyle McCord and Quinn Ewers fighting for the job in 2023 if Kyle McCord doesn't win the job this year, which I still think is a possibility. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, this this, way, this race is still wide open. I was reading a little bit before we got on today. I think Stroud was taking the one reps. Uh, I think that's been the case since spring. You know, generally, I've always said this. Quarterback reps are kind of just broken up by numbers. They're not really broken up by first, second, third, you know, yes, he might be running up and getting the first snaps. That's never actually the real indicator. Uh, It's team periods, it's scrimmages, the guys you see him playing with the most, that's kind of the biggest indicator. And with how much they're rotating early on in camp, none of that really matters. Like everyone's going to be thrown to Chris Olave. Everyone's going to be thrown to Garrett Wilson. Everyone wants to see what these quarterbacks can do with the best talent on the field. They rotate them. I think you're going to get a lot of different perspective in this early indication of camp i know ryan day said he wants to have this decision made in two weeks so i guess what's the date today the fourth uh fifth when we're recording so i think you know two weeks from now that's the 19th that's not long in football terms that is not long at all in practice terms and i i just can't see unless his decision's already made i can't see it happening in two weeks you know So if there's any on-the-fence nature of this decision, I don't think it can be made in two weeks. It's going to be a game-day decision. So if it is made in two weeks, that means he was sure coming in and just wanted to see that in the evidence. You know, If it's not made in two weeks, that means we've still got some horses running the race. Yeah, I I definitely can understand that. And I think the other thing that's important is Ohio State – they like their coaches have a PhD in how to hide things from the media. I mean, and most college coaches, especially at big programs, there's a reason the media comes for the first six periods. In the first six periods, half of it is special teams and stretching. You see a you see you know five or ten throws by each quarterback, a couple of runs, and then you leave. Um, and so no one knows what happened. Like the really, the real practice happens when the media is not there. And some people may be like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. But I promise you it does. Like they specifically, because it's the it's their job to report on everything they see. They 
allow the media to come because they should, but they do hide things from the media and they keep it vanilla. Um, and so it's going to be interesting. I, for one, am going to be reading every report, but I'm not going to take too much stock in the reports. I'm not, honestly, I'm not going to take stock in anything until the Oregon game. Like, not even the not even Minnesota. Whoever starts Oregon at quarterback, at running back, at linebacker, at you know corner, that's when I'm like, okay, yeah, that that's who it is. Because Oregon is a big game, and they're not gonna they're not gonna have someone that they don't trust or don't think is ready. That's not a game where you're gonna work people in. Yeah, and I think Ohio State fans would want the decision made then too, because I think you know going all the way back to 2006, 2007 when they played Texas, I believe is 2006 when Troy Smith and Justin Zwick were battling for the job. You know, you don't want to come into a big game, whether it's home or away, with quarterback controversy. You don't. It's just absolutely not the nature you want to have. And barring any injury, I think by then you'll have legitimate. You'll have a legitimate game. Minnesota is no joke. I, I think a lot of people are, are looking at it. They have a legitimate running back. They have a legitimate quarterback. They're returning quite a bit of weapons on offense. The quarterback is going to have to show up game one, ready yeah. to go. So. Uh, I think there's a reason Ryan Day put the timetable at two weeks in the spring or like before fall camp started. And I think there's a reason uh, there's been so much conversation about it. And I just don't think two weeks, if Quinn Ewers isn't even there in two weeks, how can he be named the starter? That's a question I have. For yeah. Fans. And yeah, that's the other thing. Like he's not, who knows when he's going to come because it's not just about, you know, he said he could finish the class by August 3rd, which was yesterday, but Anyone who's listened to this has been in college. You still have to graduate. You still have to get the paper signed. You have to say goodbye to your family. I understand it's going to be a little bit more rushed because he's trying to come and play football. But, like, there's a lot that goes into that. He's not going to finish the class on the third and be here on the fourth, you know? The one question I do have for you, though, which is, I think, more realistic, um, does Quinn play in a game or take any snaps in 2021 without injury? So I guess the real question I'm asking, do you think there's a chance he's the backup? Or do you think this is, you know, unless it's like a crazy blowout where they get three or four quarterbacks in, do you think it's just a straight redshirt year he doesn't really see the field? So I think there's an advantage now with the four games being able to like go without redshirting. You know, the coaches kind of get to pick and choose when they use them. And with that being said, I think he plays in four games this year. I do. I think he makes some throws. I think it's going to be a good way to get him involved with some of the younger receivers as well, kind of get them game experience together. I do think he redshirts. So I think the competition is going to come down to C.J. Stroud and Kyle McCord for the starting job. And then I think we'll see a little bit of a surprise amount more of Jack Miller later in the season after Quinn Ewers is kind of off the shelf because I think, you know, you want to get every single guy work. So you know mm-hmm. how last year when Justin Fields was out of games, it kind of went CJ, it went Jack Miller first and then it went CJ Stroud second. I think Ryan Day knows how to play the game well enough to kind of leave everyone guessing a little bit but still get all his guys work, you know, at his heart, Ryan day is a quarterback's coach. He wants to see all his guys play and be successful. So I do think Quinn Ewers is going to play. I think he's going to get mop up duty in some of those really, uh, more easy out of conference game, more easy conference games. And then we're going to kind of see him fade off into the distance for the remainder of the season. Then we're going to kind of see Kyle McCord get any emergency backup reps. And I think any mop up duty is going to go to Jack Miller because guess what? You don't want to use your. You don't want to lose your starter. You don't want to lose your main backup in mop up duty. 
So that's where you kind of have that nice third string. And you know what? Let's not like discount it. I think Ryan Day might even get five quarterbacks on the field this year. Jagger LaRue, like I think he earned a shot to play a little bit of garbage time in a game this year. I do. I legitimately think that. And like I said, Ryan Day, quarterback coach at the heart. He wants everyone to have some magic. Yeah, the only – I agree 100%. I just wish I didn't agree because I really just hope it doesn't shape up. I guess it doesn't necessarily matter because the starting quarterback won't be in his last year, but we can't go into the 2023 competition with none of the quarterbacks having thrown a pass. Yeah, so exactly. I hope – I don't know if it's some, some blowout. And last year was a pandemic and other things. Like I get it. There was less games, but – Whatever he does, I think we need to. I do think we need to have a legitimate backup, and maybe that is a competition that goes a little bit further. And that it is one of those things where it's like last year, where one series you get, you know, whoever the loser is, and then the next series you get um, Jack Miller or whatever, uh, assuming that he doesn't win the job, which we're all assuming that. Um, personally, I wouldn't play Quinn Ewers at all, only because. I just, it's the media. I, I Like, the hype train, I think it's going to be too. I think it, with such a young team, I think it can be very annoying. Um, yeah. And I think with a first-year starter, I think you want to kind of protect them from that. And it already happened where all the quarterbacks were asked about Quinn Ewers. And if, even though internally it may not be like this, I don't know if you want, like, you know, if, say C.J. Stroud doesn't have a great game. Almost like, you know, Justin Fields with Northwestern. We still win. Not a great game. Quinn gets a snap or two. Now at the podium, is Quinn going to start? Or do you feel any pressure? Do you feel any competition? And I don't think they're going to do that with Jack or Kyle, but I think they will with Quinn. So I think, uh, honestly, if I was Day, and I'm not, I'm obviously not a millionaire because I'm on this podcast, uh, I think I would just sit him both for his development and like, hey, listen, we're going to stay in the hype train. But that, that that recruiting doesn't matter here. He's our fourth quarterback, unless he just wows again possible and we're gonna we're gonna let this season go, you know, without all of the the theatrics. Yeah, you know, I, I was thinking about this a lot too. Like, what are the odds? Because like in another situation, you know, if you have an older guy start like and you have an ultra talented young guy like Quinn Ewers, like say CJ Stroud goes down, boom, like knock on what do you want, you know? We don't want that to happen, but does he go if Quinn Ewers does show up and show out, does he go with him, burn the red shirt possibly, and just say, like, this guy has different abilities. Like, we're gonna ride this because I don't think anyone can handle it with limited film. Or do you think it kind of goes down the regular pecking order? I don't I don't I, I don't think we have an answer to that because Day's just not been in that situation. I do I think Day is more aggressive than Urban, but not quite Nick Saban. So, and I say that in saying, I think there's a, a higher chance that he would do that than it would be with Urban, but Nick Saban pulled the starter in the national championship game. Um, I'm not sure that Ryan Day is going to do that. I think he's a little bit more loyal than that. I think it had to be something very, very drastic. So, Honestly, I don't know. That's I think that's the most interesting thing because you're, we're going to learn so much about Ryan Day this year, how he handles the competition, how he handles the back of duty, how he thinks, um, how he manages having such a high-profile recruit. It, I, I honestly don't have an answer. That's probably not fun. I don't even have a guess, but I think it's going to be very, very interesting to watch how Ryan Day handles this as such a young coach. Yeah, I think that's like the most interesting aspect because – 
you know, everyone tried to make Justin Fields and Gunnar Hoke a quarterback controversy. It never was. Anyone (laughs) with eyes kind of knew, like, no chance here. No offense, Gunnar Hoke. Like, you're a good dude. I've seen your stuff on Letterman Row. Awesome. Great content. But overall, no one thought Gunnar Hoke was going to take Justin Fields' job. Uh, You know, this is a loaded quarterback room. There's a lot of talent. I, I think the one thing we have to reflect on as Ohio State people is the idea that years ago the room was a young Braxton Miller who hadn't played a snap in college football is Joe Bowserman, Kenny Guyton, and a list of guys who were not highly touted quarterback recruits. Appreciate the room you have right now as an Ohio State fan because it's not built like this every single day. This is not how quarterback rooms are constructed usually. You don't ever have this much talent in one room. This is how running back rooms can be constructed. This is how receiver rooms can be constructed. But how often do you have this level of top 100 players in one room, possibly number one quarterback in the country, ultra talented, elite 11 MVP, you know, superstar Philadelphia kid. It's not often. So I just say, I'm not picking a, I'm not picking a quarterback. You know, I, I don't like to do that because at the end of the day, whoever wins the job earned it and they're going to guide the team. And that's how it has to be. If you're a fan. And that's a that's a great point. Whoever wins it earned it because they are going to have to earn it with the amount of talent. Whoever wins is going to be the best one. Um, and I trust Ryan Day to make that decision. And ultimately, as much as it hurt to see Joe Burrow, you know, go and leave and be super successful in 2019. Um, the right choice was made. No, 2018, 2018, Dwayne Haskins was a better quarterback and he broke the, he still has Ohio state's records. He has the big 10 record, like the Joe Burrow thing, as we talked about before, it was just the, the perfect factors altogether. And you love to see it. And I still call him OSU Joe. He has his degree from OSU. Um, and so I, I say that to say, yes, eventually one or two of these quarterbacks are going to transfer. And I wish them the best at wherever they go. But unfortunately, they weren't good enough in this room. And that doesn't mean and that I expect all of them to go be successful somewhere. I expect the loser in 2023 of the Kyle McCord or Quinn Ewers battle to go to a very highly touted program who could be in the playoffs, hopefully not in the Big Ten. But ultimately, that's just what happens. You know, this isn't the NFL where you get stuck with a guy and you root for him for 20 years, like, you know, Tom Brady or Peyton Manning, stuff like that. It rotates. And so they're going to pick the best guy. The other guy is going to hopefully go be successful, hopefully get to the NFL, make life changing money. It just may not happen in the Buckeye uniform. Yeah. And I guess a uh, final thing before we get on to the next topic here is. Uh, you think Ryan Day is going to rest on his laurels with quarterback recruiting? You don't think in 2023 when that competition opens back up, we're not going to have another super freshman there? We're not going to have another group of young guys that everyone's getting excited for? Because that's exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. I, I keep hearing this thing that it's like, oh, roster management. Ryan Day is going to take a three or a low or a low rated four star quarterback He's gonna in get 2022. The best guy he can get. No, either he's not, I think he's either not going to take a quarterback in 2022 or he's going to jump in on Arch Manning and the number one, number two, number three quarterback because it's about talent. You're never like they're never going to settle. That's like like if they if that were, if that was their philosophy, they would have done it with running back. Yeah. And I just don't see that happening. He's going to get either nobody or the best quarterback he can possibly get. That's his. Every time. And it's what we've seen since he took over. 
Because how does it help you to have a five-year quarterback who's a three-star? Like, quarter, like Mac Jones doesn't happen. <laughs> like, that happens all the time with offensive linemen. If you all care about offensive linemen, Josh Freire was a three-star lineman, lineman, and he took first-team snaps in his second year. Like, that happens with offensive linemen. Dewan Jones, low-rated. Like, um, I don't remember all the names, but one of the offensive linemen that we had in our top five was a three-star recruit. I don't remember exactly which one right now, but like that happens offensive linemen. That can happen occasionally with running back, Mayan Williams. That can happen with wide receiver, Chris Olave. You don't want that at quarterback, not at Ohio State. No, you want the – I guess you want the highest floor you can possibly have at quarterback every single time. Yep. And, and that, you really want it at the – Yeah, you keep going. I just said you really wanted at the other positions too. It's just the other positions you see a, a path for lower rated guys to succeed more than yeah. you see it at at quarterback. Like you can't teach Kyle McCord's arm strength. You can't teach CJ Stroud's feel for the game. You can't teach Quinn Ewer's natural ability as an athlete. You can't teach that stuff. That's why they're rated higher than everybody else. Like period. Yeah. And that, that's nothing else to be said. And that's why, you know, when you have all these star players, that's why group licensing is important. Uh, we're going to jump into a quick break here. And then once we come back from it, we're going to get into a huge conversation on OSU's new uh, group licensing program. They, they unveiled and released. So we'll see you guys on the flip side of these ads. Welcome back, everybody. This is your host, Christopher Rennie, Rennie bringing you another episode of Buck Off of Land Grant Holy Land here with Jordan Williams. Uh, loaded show, as always. I mean, we just spent half an hour talking about Quinn Ewers in the quarterback room. You know, camp started, and that's what we're spending time on is quarterback. So that means there's a quarterback competition at Ohio State, and it's wide open, and we're having fun with it, and it's probably not going to be ending in the next couple shows. So that's exciting for you guys. Because you're going to hear us talk about a lot about it because that's what people want to hear. And moving on, uh, Ohio State, huge news on the name, image, and likeness side. They unveiled a group licensing program that allows players to use OSU branding on merchandise. And that includes jerseys, bobbleheads, video games, and anything really you can put their face on, put their letters on. Put Ohio State on, that means they could have photos of themselves in uniform. They could use the facilities, I believe, in that case. And that is absolutely monumental in recruiting moving forward. Yeah, no, it's huge. First of all, I would like to say I'm a little surprised. I guess I shouldn't say surprised, but like, you know, Ohio State has been very careful with the group licensing and all of that kind of stuff. And the sense like even though NIL wasn't a thing and maybe just because NIL wasn't a thing, but like, you know, the last two or three Maddens had colleges in it and two K's had colleges in it. And there have been reports that Ohio State was reached out and they said no. And you saw like Texas and some other places. Um, So. I was a little surprised, but very happy that they were on the forefront of this. I think UNC was first, um, but they're two or three with it. Um, and it, I mean, it's great for the fans. Let's be honest, it is, but it's even better for the players. Yeah. You know, the best part is if I order an Ohio State jersey with a player's name on it, I won't have to wait three or four weeks to get it from China now. And the money goes yes. to the player's pocket. So, you know, rather than being on the fence and just getting another Ohio State polo or game day shirt, 
I might get a Chris Olave jersey this year because guess who it's helping now? It's helping the players. It's helping the athletes. And that opens up my reason to get it. You know, I'm not a guy. I'm not a big jersey guy. Uh, I missed the part in the Slack group chat where I was, we were all talking about it. I'm not a jersey guy. I don't know if you're personally a jersey guy, but there's so much other stuff that can happen now for these guys. And, you know, I think Ohio State's kind of been slow playing a lot of their NIL stuff. And I think they had been preparing this for some time. That's why it seemed like when they rolled it out, it seemed like all their T's were crossed, all their I's were dotted. Uh, good reference there because that's a Buckeye reference. And I think at the end of the day, uh, this is exactly what uh, the type of program that you're going to see other programs follow. And Ohio State's going to be able to say, guess what? We were here first. We were the most prepared for this. Any new stuff that's coming, we're going to be the first ones to be able to help you, prepare you, and educate you. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, it definitely seems like Ohio State was prepared. I think one of my favorite things about all the NIL stuff with Ohio State, though, is they carry enough power that they're getting things specific to them that other schools don't have. Like Even with like the Open Doors thing, which is who they're doing the NIL training with for the players, they're getting a specific program and specific branding and stuff like that. That is only Ohio State that even like Nebraska and some of the ones that have it first don't have. And so I, I think they were prepared, but they're also taking some time and wielding their power a little bit to make it the best for the players. They're not just getting some cookie cutter program and saying, here you go. Um, and I think that means a lot. I think also being home of the Fisher College of Business and some things like that and being able to rely on those minds as well as just the great minds and the athletic director, presidents, all of that kind of stuff. All everything that's everything that's being unveiled, there's no flaws in it. There's nothing that's like, oh, this this is a scheme or that's not genuine. The players are genuinely benefiting from this. Um, and even though every player nationally is going to, you know, benefit from NIL, I do still think Ohio State is separating themselves from some other places. Yeah, I agree. With, I agree 100 percent there. It's not a case of like we all know Ohio State's been on the forefront of almost everything for the last 10, 15 years, whether it was social media, whether it was the video production they put into their media days and all that. Uh, they do stuff. Oh, uh, Real Life Wednesday is another example uh, the internships. They get players. They really have done yeah. their best to prepare Ohio State players for the NFL while also giving them plenty of opportunities. And this is just kind of coming out of the same vein here. It's really just a case of Gene Smith really being out front. It's really uh, it's really just an interesting conversation. I, I had no idea how much more Ohio State was getting until you were talking about it than a Nebraska, than these other schools. Because I was in Lincoln this week. Uh, Open Doors is literally a company that was founded in Lincoln. And Ohio State's getting more from yep, it. I think it was. And that's crazy to me. I, I I could be wrong, but I feel like it was founded by a Nebraska alum. Yeah. I could be wrong about that. But I, I, I did read it. But, yeah, like, because I read all of it. And Ohio State is getting a specific program and some other things that they asked for. And maybe Nebraska will add it or maybe Nebraska just didn't want it. But they are very intentional with what they're doing with all of these programs and how it's benefiting the players. And I think that's what you want. You don't want, you know, you, you don't want to rush and just kind of do things and it not actually benefit your players. Yeah, I think um... – that's our next question here is what, what does this mean for the players? I think just, I think the preparation is really what I get excited for about the players, how prepared Ohio state was because granted every player in the country is going to be able to benefit. But now 
players in the country, you know, they might do something without knowing that it's against the rules. You know, I think Ohio State's going to be so well uh, organized with this that I don't think we're going to run into those same issues you're going to see with some other programs with like minor violations. I think Ohio State's players are going to be so well taught, so well prepared for this that because of the preparation from the athletic department, that I think this is just a benefit for one through 93, all, even the walk-on guys, you know? So I, I can't I can't see this being a bad thing at all. I can't envision anything negative happening with this. I think it's all positives for the players. We already saw players benefiting from NIL. What was uh, his name? Luke Whippler already sold like 500-something yep. sweatshirts off just a mean tweet and it was hilarious and that's just the type of little stuff I almost bought that switchhead so I I just see them already weaponizing it using themselves as brands using themselves to sell products you know get people to buy things you know uh, capitalizing on opportunity already it's exactly what it is I know Demario McCall's excited because people love him he he hasn't done much but he's a six year guy people are going to want to pay it forward to him because he gives us moments you know those are the guys who I think benefit mm-hmm. more. You know, obviously C.J. Stroud or whoever, any of the quarterbacks are going to benefit. You know, all the starters are going to benefit. But you're at Ohio State. There's going to be ways that these, uh, I don't want to say like lower tier guys, but, you know, the non-starters, the lesser known guys are still going to be able to capitalize off opportunity. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. But I think it's important um, to say that, you know, with the group licensing, it means that they can use Ohio State's brand. Um, And, you know, when you see a Chris, like if Chris Olive is going to have a commercial, he's going to have a commercial. But now he can wear his jersey. He can wear his uniform. He can wear an Ohio State pillow like before he wouldn't have been able to do all of that um, because it's license in a like the Ohio State University is not just going to let anyone have their brand and I think one thing to note is that because it was one thing that a lot of people were worried about with like schools having power over this stuff there's a group licensing thing It, it says that they cannot tell a player what endorsements they can or cannot have but they can deny the brand so like you're not allowed to do alcohol, but like if, if someone wanted to do something with Under Armour, they might say, hey, you can do Under Armour all you want, but you can't use the Ohio State brand because we're Nike. But if they wanted to do something with, you know, um, Brugler's Bagels, they could be in Brugler's Bagel with their Ohio State, you know, all of that kind of stuff on. And I don't see Ohio State saying no to that as long as it's not something that competes with Ohio State or, you know, makes the brand look negative, which, you know, none of the players are going to do because it, it affects them as well. So, yeah, like, but I also think there's some really cool stuff that happens with it too. Yeah, I'm honestly like thinking about Kyle McCord, Adriatico's Pizza, you know, these guys wearing their jerseys, like doing one of those cheesy TV commercials for local radio or, Local, I mean, that doesn't make any sense, but you know what I'm saying. Local yeah. TV and then, you know, using Ohio yeah. State in local radio. Like, hey, this is Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud here with, uh, oh, God, what is it? Buyers Auto or whatever. One of those big car companies. You know, yeah. you could see them as uh, all those, like, shack cutouts you see in CVS. You could start seeing, like, Chris Olave yeah. cutouts near Vitamins in the local CVSs in Columbus and in Ohio. So this is, like – these are all small scale things like, but these things add up. And I think mm-hmm. the aggressiveness at the start of this is what's going to help the athletes the most. Cause they're going to be able to learn immediately, grow immediately. And then guess what Ohio state's going to do. They're going to learn from year one and make it better for year two. 
And then Mark Pantone, the genius he is, is going to absolutely use every single thing from all of whoever's the starting quarterbacks to, hey, this guy just runs down on kickoffs. Like, he's getting advertisements. Like, you come here, you're making money no matter what. And that's how the genius works. I mean, Ohio State's influence is so big that non-Ohio State, like, media outlets are using the hashtag boom. Like, I literally saw it. I saw a hashtag boom from 247 Sports about a kid. I think the offensive lineman that committed to, like, Tennessee or something. And I'm just looking at it like, that's not a that's not a thing. That's an Ohio State yeah. thing. They've been doing it for years. But it's become so recognized that other people are stealing it. And, like, that, that is branding. Yeah. That is that is branding, and we see it every single month if you pay attention with the stats. Ohio State is always 50, 60, 70,000 interactions more than the closest school. Ohio State is branding, and then adding this layer to it um, is it's just it's great for the players. I, but also, I think we talked a lot about the players. Let's talk about the fans. Like, what are the fans getting out of this? Um, my number one thing is it literally – it was small, but it literally said it in the press release. This opens the door for video yep. games. Uh, the video. Give me NCAA football. The video games now. is the best part. I, I mean, we've all been waiting. I think this is the biggest news for NIL for everybody. I think this is the exact type of, I don't want to call it legislation because it's not government, but the type of rule set that you need most schools to have for it to be extremely successful right away and you know group licensing is insane and there's so much complexities to it and if you guys don't follow him up uh, matt brown he's a former sb nation guy extra points he does a lot of conversations about group licensing and i've learned a lot in those articles and stuff and you know there's a lot of companies that manage group licensing for big schools like ohio state and they have a bunch of connections with other schools so we're going to see some schools start immediately following in the footsteps of ohio state and as uh, college football 2020 question mark, question mark comes out, we are going to see an influx of rules like this come out from other universities. Because you want to be able to use the Jayhawk on your helmet in advertisements if you're at Kansas. I know more on your jersey because Kansas sucks at football. You want to be able to use the white ball <laughs> at Clemson to sell stuff in South Carolina. You do. And on top of that, the fans are getting – opportunities to really connect with athletes. You know, we're going to start seeing them on uh, different apps, kind of selling like autographs, selling meet and greet, selling that type of stuff that you see a lot of former players do. So this is going to give you a lot more access to these guys because before Ohio state was protective of them. They didn't want them to go out and do these types of things because they didn't want to run into issues like that. You know, I mean, we've read stories about Johnny Manziel pocketing cash for signing autographs while he was in school. It happens. It's real. But now you don't have to worry about it as much. You don't have to worry about these issues. So fans are going to be able to go get their football autographed without any worry because guess what? Whoever is signing those autographs is getting paid for it. We've already seen it. Haskell Garrett did it. Taraja Mitchell did it. You know, players are already capitalizing on that. And I can't imagine being a young fan and being able to go to a $10 meet and greet to really get to beat one of my favorite players. Honestly, I mean, there's – Let's let's think about it, right? I don't know when it's gonna happen, but you can go and buy a Chris Olave jersey and then have Chris Olave autograph it and frame. It'd all be legal. Like you could, 
and all of it's legal. I don't know that they're going to do this. And if there's anyone at Ohio State listening, you know, you can steal this idea. There's no reason why after a spring practice, they shouldn't have a meet and greet with players. And you go into the field house and the players are lined up and you can talk to them and they can sign autographs or whatever you have. And they give every like you pay five, ten bucks to get in there or whatever. And you can get as many autographs as you want. They give you a poster. You can take your bobblehead. You can take your video game. You can take your jersey. Like there's no reason they should. They couldn't do that in the off season. They couldn't do that in the summer. I mean, I'm not going to do it during football season. I totally understand. But you're telling me during one of the spring practices that like, that is a great idea. And it would sell out like whatever, whatever price they put it at and whatever ticket number they put, it would sell out. Absolutely. I think, you know, if you limited the tickets like 500 and they said, we're like, hey, 500 tickets, $100, you get to come, you get to meet all the players. You get to sign it. People would sell that out immediately. It's done in a day. And then you split, that's, that's what, 500 dollars That's $500,000, right? You just split that across all 90 and plates. it's easy. It's quick. You set up tables. You make it uh, relaxed. And, yes, I know we don't want to get into, like, players kind of being, uh, you know, doing extra work, added stuff like that. You know, they're going to do it anyways. Might as well do it at the campus right. facility. Uh, so I, I just think we're on to something here. I think Ohio state should kind of bring us on into the NIL idea department, maybe not the execution department, but we just give them different ideas. Yeah. We know what the fans like because we're fans. We know what we would yeah, pay when for. When I was in college, I would we have know, paid hundred bucks have friends, like, right? to go meet all the players. That would have been cool as heck. I mean, you're telling me, like, literally right now, the one of the first jerseys I buy, you asked if I was a jersey person. I'm a jersey person within reason. I'm more of, like, I want to get the jersey, frame it, and put it in my man cave when I have a house than wearing it. But um, the first thing, because they're talking about they're also going to group license their alumni association, which means you can start buying throwback oh, jerseys. Yeah. I am immediately buying an Ezekiel Elliott jersey. It's probably going to be the first one I buy. And I don't think I'm ever going to run into Zeke, but if he ever comes back to one of these events, I want it autographed and I'm hanging it up in my house. Like that, it doesn't just, I think that's important to say. It doesn't just benefit current players. It benefits former players too. JT Barrett didn't, you know, unfortunately didn't become an NFL star, but he, I mean, he would have made people st- love he JT. Made so much money. How much money? retroactively how much money you think he's going to make. When you can buy an official JT Barrett jersey, an official JT Barrett bobblehead, like all that stuff, it's, it's flying off the yeah, shelf. And, they love JT. Justin Fields, like, come on. It's yeah, it's going to be awesome for these guys in that case, too. And I, I just think, uh, to close this one out before we get moving on to the next conversation, like, the pastures are green. Like, people are excited. Ohio State is a business. It always has been. And business was already booming and I don't even know where it's going to go next. It's going to be so huge. Like I, I Julian Fleming was a five-star recruit and I know a lot of these freshmen who come in, these highly touted ones can capitalize immediately. And then, you know, if they don't play right away, they'll probably fall off a little bit, but then right immediately again, you're going to kind of get like a nice little wave here, you know, kind of like when you see the double drop in the stock market, you get to see the up, and then you go down a little bit, and then guess what? Right when you get back on the field ready to go, you're going to shoot right back up to the moon. So uh, there's a lot of time to capitalize. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot more plans in place. Uh, we're all new to this, so we're going to see so much growth. But guess what? Endorsements aren't new. Yeah, A lot of the stuff that's going to happen with these players isn't new. It's just new to college football and college sports. 
and it's wonderful. It's awesome. It's Outside. about time. That's all I can say. A uh, hundred years too late, as many would agree. Yes, I'm one of many. And uh, yeah, so I guess the next conversation is, you know, fans are all over the place with this realignment stuff. And I don't really want to get too much in detail because we kind of already gave our deep thought opinions on realignment and what we want to see the Big Ten do. But there was this conversation from this random guy on radio who said something about Kansas being almost an automatic to join the Big Ten. And immediately it started a firestorm, as always would be the case with Ohio State and the Big Ten. Uh, I'm not too mad about Kansas joining the Big Ten. I see a lot of positivity with it. Uh, I think it adds enough to the conference without making Ohio State's road to being national champs harder. And guess what? It puts more money in everybody's pocket getting the Kansas City, the St. Louis markets. So uh, I kind of want your take on some of the more recent realignment conversations that came up, specifically the Kansas one. Yeah, my my thought on it is this. Um, I see no issue with it. Um, I don't know that Kansas necessarily moves the needle, but I also, unfortunately, until he earns it, doesn't don't have too much faith in Kevin Warren to make like a big move. Um, so I could see it. I think Kansas makes sense as far as the Big Ten footprint. I think the one thing that people are forgetting, and this is the other thing, like national media is going to overreact. Ohio State, I'm sorry, not Ohio State, but mainly Ohio State, the Big Ten makes the most money right now from media rights. They make more than the SEC. And even with the SEC's new deal, our new deal comes the the, the, the year after that, and we still may make more because Fox is most likely going to give the entire bag to the Big Ten so they own the rights outright to compete with ESPN. So whether we add or don't add, we're going to be fine. And even if we go from first to second, it's still going to be per, SEC at seventy per million. Program, it's still going to be at sixty-eight and a half. Yeah. So th- that I, I just don't I don't see the need to make a big move. Personally, I think Kansas is a cool move, especially because I think Kansas is a program. I think Kansas is a program that if you give them that seventy mil a year and they actually hire, I think because Kansas hired the Buffalo coach, yeah, right? Labeled. I think he's good. I think there's a chance that Kansas turns it around if you give them that seventy million. It's going to help. I don't think it moves the needle, um, but I don't think they have to. The Big Ten is fine. Yeah. No matter how you feel about Maryland and Rutgers and all those other places, there's a reason we have a, a joint deal with ESPN and Fox that pays us more than everyone else. It's all about the Benjamins. And I think the point you bring up about Fox is if the Big 12 implodes, like that is another big money investment Fox makes to get half those games. They don't need to make that investment more. So guess what? They could reinvest it into the product that is the Big 10. Uh, You know, say Ohio State takes a USC. They take a big Pac-12 name from that market over on the West Coast. I'm not saying – that's in the near future. I know Gene Smith said like they're probably going to take a back seat on realignment talk and like expand playoff expansion talk until everything's figured out. But you know those moves that could possibly be in the future uh, on the already lucrative TV deal. If these conferences fall off and fall mm-hmm. apart, that's more money Fox can do to get the exclusive rights to Big Ten football. Mm-hmm. And they already own. Uh, they already have a fifty percent partnership for the Big Ten Network. They already own fifty percent. And they get first dibs. Uh, they get the first of every other round in the network draft for Big Ten games. 
Why wouldn't they just want to have their own conference? And then guess what? Fox has the Big Ten. ESPN has the SEC. There's a network war. And then they just share the rest. And that just makes everybody else more money because guess what? In the future, Alabama could be like, hey, guess what? CBS is wide open again. They're still open because we left them in the dust. Uh, We could use that as – we could use CBS as a bargaining tool. We could use that as a bargaining chip, you know. That is the type of stuff you could see coming in the future that just adds more money. And at that point, it's all about just following the same protocol the Big Ten always has. Uh, AAU schools and big TV markets. Could it be awesome if you get a Phoenix school, a USC? Like, you know how big Phoenix is? Like, that would be a huge market. And fans would be pissed if Ohio State added Arizona State or Arizona. Like, I don't know why. Yeah. I, again, I've already said this. The purist in me wants them to add Iowa State because I want to see the Iowa-Iowa State rivalry, even though it doesn't matter because Matt Campbell is going to be at Michigan. But I, I just don't think that there's a bad move the Big Ten can make. They can stay and be fine. They can add and be fine. They can do a scheduling alliance and be fine. The one thing that I do think is important, though, is a I do think Fox is going to buy out all of the Big Ten, and I think they're going to have to because I I don't I mean Disney has a million billions of dollars, but with that new SEC deal coming up, I don't know how much more money they have to really fight Fox over it. Fox wants to directly compete with ESPN; they're doing it in every industry. Do you really want to be? And Fox has the Pac-12. Do you really want to be the second fiddle to the SEC as a conference? No, you don't. Absolutely not. You're a premier athletic conference. You're a premier institution conference like there's no reason to be a second place you know and there's it's not going to happen and i think where you hit it on the head i think scheduling alliance is the right way to go you get the same network partners with fox you get a ton of games with pac-12 and big 12 schools and then you go from there and then if the next steps are naturally expansion then we get there when we get there Yeah, and I think the one thing that is important is I think a lot of people feel a certain kind of way about ESPN and the SEC right now, and I think that's going to push the Big Ten and Pac-12 specifically to want to wait on the playoffs. But here's the thing. They should have waited regardless. As a fan, I hate that they wait, but they should have waited regardless because the only way that they can expand the playoffs is if they just give it to ESPN. And I don't want it to be on ESPN. I want it to hit the open market, and it needs to either needs to be a joint deal with ESPN and Fox or ESPN, Fox, and CBS, whatever, or especially if it's 12 teams, they can split that easily with the rotation just for the like national the championship. Similar, yes, exactly. Literally just like the NFL does. Or it just needs to hit the open market. And even if ESPN does buy it out, they're going to have to buy it out for triple what they would pay for it right now because everyone, every Amazon, Fox, CBS, ESPN, Paramount, anything that has any sort of broadcasting is going to bid on it and it's going to drive the market. And that just helps the other teams. I think the only ones who want this right now are ESPN and the SEC because they benefit from it the most. Wait, just wait it out and let everyone bid on it. I think it's going to make it better. It's going to be, it's not great for fans. We're going to have to be a little bit more patient than we want, but for the schools, for NIL, for NIL, all the other kind of stuff, it is best, especially for the Big Ten and Pac-12, for them to wait and let that hit and let Fox at least get in on the bidding. Yeah, and bidding is always important. You know, I, I think, I think the, 
college football playoff being tied to a network is the worst thing for it. I think, you know, regardless, I think all 12 people in the room kind of just want to make the most money as possible. So I think that's kind of weighing on the decision more than anything to do with like conference uh, alignment and stuff. But you can see the writing on the wall when the SEC added Texas and Oklahoma immediately after the 12 team expansion. You know why they did that? You mm-hmm. and I both know. Everyone with sense knows why they did that. They were pushing the 12 teams. Mm-hmm. Then they added two blue bloods because guess what? That just adds more programs with the potential to get into a 12 team playoff. You know, you add that to Alabama, you add that to Georgia, you add that to Florida. Yeah, that to these already established SEC teams, uh, LSU, you know, they they had an off year, but still they're every five years, they are super elite. So you add Texas yeah. and Oklahoma to that mix. Uh, Texas A&M was fine last year. That's eight teams, 12 out of, uh, I don't know, 14 teams in their conference, I believe at this point. That is, uh, it's exactly why uh, Sankey wants to move this stuff forward as fast as possible. Yeah, Sankey and ESPN are tied at the hip, and that shouldn't surprise yeah, anybody. Shout out to uh, the Texas legislator who came down on Texas pretty hard with the three and seven against the Horn Frogs comment, and said you'd rather lose <laughs> to Alabama than the TCU Horn Frogs, I guess. And that was the one of the top five most petty lines I've heard in college football this decade already, and there has already been a lot. Yeah, uh, I love all of it. I think Texas and football are so intertwined that you're really just going to get some beautiful content over the next few months, just kind of with all this news breaking out. It's going to be awesome. I, I, Outside of Ohio State, that's the thing I'm following closest, is just the Big 12 and all the Texas schools and their infighting. Yeah, it's going to get very petty, and it's going to be very fun to watch. And Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what they do, and we're going to be following that closely because – any type of conference realignment that happens is going to directly impact Ohio State and the Big Ten because the question's always going to come up. But, yeah, I, I guess I, we really – there's nothing more to it. Uh, alignment's happening. Realignment's going to happen at some point probably, more likely than not. And we will be there to talk about it when it happens. But for now, we're going to take a break from that and we're going to get into our top five wide receivers since 2005. Jordan – I'm looking at your list right now. Absolutely loaded. My list, I believe, is also oh my God. absolutely loaded. Uh, once again, similarities, differences. Uh, this position was tough. I was thinking about it in the car all day as I was driving, and I could not really narrow it down to five until I sat down and had to. So these wide yeah. receivers, uh, we are a wide receiver university, at least in college. I, I look at all these names, so many NFL players. So many ultra-talented guys in college, and I had to cut off some of my favorite players. Yeah. No, I mean, I did too. I think this one's the most interesting one because we only have two of the same people, Uh, and most of them were, like, struggling. And I don't know, maybe you took off some people because they were on my list or whatever. I'm not sure, but it was deep. It was very, very deep. I think we could have done 10, and and each one of us had different people. I mean, our number one would be the same because we're just we just think the same on that one. But we could have realistically come up with a list of ten. Everyone warranted no repeats. Yeah, and I mean, I kind of wanted to fight recency bias because, like, I'm just gonna say Garrett Wilson's not on my list, but I think he might be one of the most talented receivers we've ever had. And that just shows how deep this. Yeah, is. he's not on my list either. And that 
That's crazy. After this year, he's probably going to be on. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you want me to get started or you want to get going first here? Uh, I think I started last time. You can All right, so I'm going to go with number five here on my list. Uh, my first guy on my list is Michael Thomas. Yes, the all-pro wide receiver, Michael Thomas. And I know a lot of people are kind of like, oh, my God, he wasn't really that great at Ohio State. But I'd like to raise you guys some very interesting thoughts on this. Michael Thomas was uh, in a system that wasn't really built for a receiver like him. So he was always having to do extra work to utilize his skills. He had JT Barrett as his quarterback. He had – uh, limited passer downfield, and in the in the time with Urban's offense, it was a little bit more simple, and he's much more polished and much more refined and would absolutely flourish in Ryan Day's offense. Zero questions about it. But as a player at Ohio State, I think the biggest thing for me is his consistency. Uh, two years as a starter, uh, 54 receptions, 799 yards, nine touchdowns, uh, 2015, 56 receptions, 781 yards, nine touchdowns. And it felt like whenever you needed a play or a first down, Michael Thomas was making it. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, He's not on my list, and I thought he was going to be. And then I looked at it, and, you know, I try to be a little bit partial with these, and that's why I'm always bringing up stats and records and that kind of stuff. And he just fell slightly short. But, again, that just speaks to who we've had. Yeah, absolutely. That Michael Thomas is falling short. Um, I will say, I although I agree with you that he was good here, I do think his legacy here is a little overhyped because of what he did in the league. I, I think people – forget how good he, like I think people overhype him a little bit but even still he was very good if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah I just think there's some plays I remember when he was in school that just stick with me so much more than some of these other receivers as plays like there was a catch against Maryland where he mossed a dude got two feet down there was that one play against Rutgers where he caught a little curl route or a hitch route stiff-armed a dude and just housed at 65 yards and in that moment I'm like I didn't know Michael Thomas could run like that and <laughs> just his huge catch in the national championship game. He just made NFL plays, yeah. but I just don't think he yeah. had the quarterback to do it consistently, you know? Or the coach, honestly. It, like, right, like you know, Urban Meyer's offense, was, like Ryan Day, for the most part, runs the NFL offense and things have slightly changed, but Ryan, uh, Urban Meyer wasn't running an NFL offense. And, you know, everyone knows that Urban Meyer's favorite players are the Percy Harvin, Percy Harvin. I've got the most elite one on my list. I don't know why it sounds like I'm saving his name wrong. Percy Harvin? But, yeah, yeah, I don't know why. I, like, for some reason, it sounded like I was saying his name wrong, and I wasn't. But Urban Meyer loves those types of players, i.e. Curtis Samuel, i.e. like all, you know, Paris Campbell. So, like, you know, he doesn't really care for outside receivers, and Michael Thomas was the epitome of an outside receiver. You don't want him in the slot, to be honest, but he's going to, you know, destroy just about anyone on the outside, including NFL quarterbacks, because he still does that. So, I mean, like I said, again, he's not on my list. But I think that just speaks to the depth of this position. It is no shade to him. He is an amazing wide receiver. Um, my number five is Devin Smith. I just I don't think you can have this list without talking about Devin Smith. Um, Devin Smith, you know, it's it's funny because I'm thinking about 
I was looking at the record book and stuff like that, and his records don't make sense. He's like almost not even on the list for all time catches. Yeah. Because he didn't catch the ball that much. But he's like number one and kept like yards per catch. He led the team in receiving in 2011, which is a, uh, he was split with that. Um, but he's fifth all time in yards. Again, he's nowhere on the receptions list, but he's fifth all time in yards with 2,500. He's second all-time in touchdowns with 30. All he did was touch touchdowns. All he did was run straight, like like your 11-year-old brother in Madden, all goes all the time. All he did was run straight and catch everything. He's um, 11th all-time in touchdowns in a season, I believe this is, with 18? No, 12. I don't know. How did I mess that up? Oh, I think he's second and 11th all-time in touchdowns. Regardless, all he did was catch touchdowns, and he's fourth. He's tied fourth all-time for touchdowns in a season with 12. Um, you know, he didn't have a million catches, but he was always open. Uh, he, he was always there on a deep post or a deep – on a, just a straight seam or go route. Uh, I just remember a million times him running as fast as possible – um, the quarterback just tossing it up, and he just mosses someone in the end zone, jumps up as high as he can, and catches it over his shoulder. Like it felt like he was there, and if he if it was a catch, it was a touchdown. Yeah, I, I honestly think there's argument to be made that Devin Smith might be the greatest deep threat in Ohio State history. Uh, I have him higher on my list, so I'm going to give my full opinion on him here shortly. But yeah, I, I can't disagree. Five, I mean, good place for him. I I, I value his time at Ohio State probably just a tad bit higher. Do me weighing like his impact in big moments, I guess, more a little bit more than you. Uh, but uh, my guy, That's my fair. next guy on the list is Santonio Holmes. Yes, cop out a little bit. His final year was 2005, but guess what? He saved his best work for last in 2005. Mm-hmm. Uh, Santonio Holmes in 2005, 53 catches, 977 yards, 11 touchdowns. Uh, absolutely incredible player. Had a long NFL career. I know we're not trying to use that as – evidence but i think in a time where uh number one wide receivers weren't as uh weren't putting up his volume uh we're putting stats up in as much volume uh santonio holmes was a guy who did that in college football and in 2005 uh there was inconsistent quarterback play at ohio state uh so i think generally speaking he kind of was the receiving core than him ted ginn jr you know the list goes on but he was such a special talent when he was at Ohio State, and he was so vital in Ohio State's success during his time that I think he cracks the list with just 2005 for me just because I just was going through the list. I couldn't keep him off of it. That, that's actually funny because you're the reason he's not on my list um, because I think it was maybe linebackers. There was another position group where you were like, he was only here for one year in 2005, so I didn't put him on the list. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to stick to it. Chris didn't put him on the list last time. He's in my honorable mentions. When I saw him on your list, I was like, man. I'm like, I'm glad I didn't because we had to talk about other players. But literally, I was like, it was only 2005, so I don't know if I should put him on my list. It's the same reason, um, just to put it out there, Ted Ginn is not on my list because he wasn't really here for this time period much either. Um but no, yeah, I agree with everything you said about Santonio Holmes, and he was very much almost on my list. Um, so yeah, it was just hard on. for me to like. I was just like, God, you know, 
I know like we make up rules as we go with this all the time. It's funny, but I was like, yeah, <laughs> I, I just don't think I could consciously not put them on there. That's how I felt in my gut when I was writing. And I'm like, God, you know, because my other guy was Dane Sonsenbacher, if you guys remember him. He was my favorite receiver, and I was like, I, yep. yeah, Santonio Holmes or Dane Sonsenbacher. I'm like, Santonio Holmes was a better football player. I'm like, I'm just going to go with him. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. You're not wrong about that. Um, my number four receiver is someone I didn't expect to have on this list until I looked at it, but I do remember his impact. My number four is Philly Brown. And honestly, everyone who's listening to this probably just like shook their head. I'm going to tell you one stat of why he's on this list. He led the team in receptions three years in a row. He was awesome, man. I, I can't even get mad at He that. led the team in receptions in 11, 12, and 13. That is, the, that is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. And no, he wasn't a deep threat. He was honestly like the opposite of Devin Smith. Every time Devin Smith caught the ball, it was a touchdown or a deep pass. I feel like Philly Brown, every time he caught it, it was at three yards that you needed for the first down. It was at seven yard comeback for the first down on third down, you know, moving the sticks, that safety blanket, you're getting blitz. He's right there over the middle. Um, so, no, you know, he doesn't have a million yards or a million touchdowns. He's only 18th all time in uh, receiving yards in a career, but he's number six in receptions all time, and he's number four in receptions a game. That is a wide receiver that you need. Um, and honestly, I think that is a problem with our offense last year. Everything was a deep play. Everything was throwing a million, you know, a million yards down the field to Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave. And we didn't have that guy that could just get you five yards when you needed it. And that led to Justin Fields being sacked so much because it was, you know, Justin Fields as good of a runner as he is, he wasn't he didn't just run out the pocket. He wanted to make everything last. And I think a Philly Brown last year would have helped like us to get you like yeah just take the five yards just throw it down take the five yards we'll go we'll get him the next play um so he i had to put him on my list because it was just ridiculous three years in a row leading the leading the team in reception i couldn't believe it but i remember it but i just couldn't believe it so i had to put him on yeah my list. you know i i mean philly brown was one of those guys i remember very fondly he was just always a guy who was he, he, like you said, he didn't make the biggest plays, but he always made plays. You know, he yeah. was, he just was a good wide receiver. And you can't really teach what he had because he was just this crafty guy. He nope. wasn't the fastest. He wasn't the biggest. He wouldn't go over top of people too often. But every time he needed something, guess who came to town? It was Philly Brown. And uh, every, every time. single time. And yes, I think there's probably. 10, 15 receivers that we could say were more talented, but more important to the team at their given time. I don't know if we could make a list of five more guys that are more important no, to their time. I don't think you could. Than Corey Brown. I don't think you could at all. Because he was Braxton Miller's like best friend when he was there. Like every time Braxton Literally. needed safety, he's like, where's Philly Brown? There he is. 10 yard out first down. Boom. Caught it. I would love to see the stats. And this is not something I don't even think you could find. I would love to see the stats on how many drops he had. I don't I don't remember him ever dropping the yeah, ball. Yeah, there's a few guys on your list. I really just don't remember them dropping passes. Uh, you know, my next guy on my list is a guy we've already talked about a little bit, Devin Smith. Uh, Devin Smith's number three for me. Uh, I think he is the epitome of a big moment player. Uh, he had his big games. Uh, yep. He... Really, anytime you played him press man coverage or man to man coverage or left him without any safety help over the top, guess what? 
he made you pay. Uh, I think I read this ridiculous stat that he averaged like 27 yards per catch in a season. Uh, so that means every time he caught the ball, it was probably a touchdown or a really long game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I think he only had like 30 catches and he had like 18 touchdowns or something stupid like that. And I, I don't have the reference yeah, on me right here, ridiculous. but didn't make a lot of catches. Every single catch Devin Smith made was impactful. It felt like. Uh, he was a guy who developed into a more complete receiver as he went. But at the end of the day, you know, mm-hmm. Devin Smith was, you knew exactly where you were getting and he did it better than anyone in the country during that period of time. And, you know, I, I was a little disappointed. He never caught on in the NFL. I thought he was a guy who kind of caught the injury bug early in his career and fell out of favor a little bit with NFL mm-hmm. teams. But uh, he's just, he had that innate ability to track a deep ball that you just can't teach. Yeah, it was it was natural, and you couldn't catch him. You couldn't out jump him. And wasn't he wasn't he a high jumper for the yeah, track team? I, I don't know if he was for Ohio State's track team, but I know he was for sure a high jumper at, at Maslin. Yeah, um, and that's the other thing. I have an affinity for Devin Smith because I'm from Canton, and Maslin's 20 minutes away. Um, I remember talk, like talking about him in high school when he was in high school and everyone like just the buzz, you know, like, I don't know if you, I'm not, I don't remember where you're from, but I don't know if you felt the buzz of like a really, really good player in your local town, but like that's happened a couple of times with me and Devin Smith was one of them. Like the dish, the but everyone talked about him, even, th- even the ones who hated him because of the Canton McKinley rivalry yeah. with Mass or whatever. Like you, you didn't go anywhere without talking about Devin Smith. And it was just a pride of everyone in that area when a kid got an Ohio State offer. Yeah. offer. And it still is, but um, so I have a huge affinity for Devin Smith and like, you know, I, like I said, I have him five, you have him three. He could, he could have been anywhere on this list. Yeah, I, think, I mean, I, I would never have had him one. I don't think he's the best receiver we've, we've had over the last 15 years. But yeah. He was one of the most three to three to five. If we did most important players, yeah, he's for sure on that list every single time. Yeah, oh, I mean, easily. I mean, like we don't win a national championship without him. <laughs> no. So, yeah. who's your number three? Um, my number three is KJ Hill, and you, you may be listening to my list and be like, "Oh, his list is boring. He has this year wide receivers, whatever." I just couldn't not put KJ Hill. He's far from my favorite favorite wide receiver, right? I like if I'm looking at electricity, excitement, whatever. He's not on this list, but I don't think KJ Hill gets enough credit because I think maybe he was boring, whatever. But he's number one. And we have so many great receivers. I don't think people can like really put that into perspective without seeing the list he's in front of. Like, like literally, like KJ Hill is number one all time. Think of any great wide receiver ever; he has more receptions. He's number six all time in yards. So uh, he's the opposite a little bit of Philly Brown, where it was like it was similar in the fact that maybe they didn't always make the big plays. But he averaged a lot more yards than Philly Brown. He led the team in receptions for two years in 2017 and 2019. He's number eight all-time in yards a game, so he did have big games. He had a game where he had 187 yards. He's seventh all-time in touchdowns. He's a, the perfect, He was the perfect wide receiver, the perfect complement. And the fact that if you needed something, no matter where it was at, whether it was the Reds, like, you know, Philly Brown wasn't big in the red zone. But K.J. Hill... It doesn't matter. First down, fourth down, red zone, he was there. Uh, and, and so, you know, sometimes I think he gets forgotten a little bit 
because he wasn't that electric player, but he he was he was a security blanket in the best sense, but he was just explosive enough. He was just explosive enough that if you left him, if you focused on someone else, you um, he was going to get a touchdown. And and that shows by him being top. He, he's number seven on time of touchdowns with 20 in a career. Yeah, I think the one thing K.J. Hill was to me during my time, because he was there, he was a starter every year I was in school at Ohio State. So I kind of have a special connection to a lot of those guys on those teams. Um, like, cause they're the, they're the team while I was in school. So like Chase Young, KJ Hill, Justin Fields, these guys are always going to be my favorite players of all time because of that stuff. Uh, KJ didn't make my list. Uh, I honestly forgot how vital he was for those three years. I just remember But what I do remember is he's just such a sure handed guy. Uh, he's one of those guys. I, I think, uh, you said it about Philly Brown. Uh, I don't remember ever seeing, KJ Hill drop an important pass, let alone a pass. If it was catchable, he, he had, caught it. I, I met him once. He was in one of my communications classes, and he had the biggest hands I'd ever seen. He was probably an inch shorter than me, but his hands were twice the size of my hands. Yeah, and that's just—I mean—that just shows you guys like the difference between like an average person and an Ohio State football player, but. Like KJ Hill was a freak in so many ways, and the way he was just so sudden in his route running uh, let let him open up so much. Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. So I just had to give KJ Hill some love because you know we love the Garrett Wilsons and the Chris Olaves, and we love the Devin Smith. Everyone loves the big play wide receiver, but you need these guys. You need your KJ Hills. You need your Philly Browns. Yeah. Um, without like it, your, your team's not complete without them and again we could have used KJ Hill last year we could have no matter how you feel about how much more talented Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave was KJ I, I we could have used a KJ Hill last year so uh he's on my list he's number three um I can't. Honestly, I don't, if you don't agree I don't I don't know <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how you can't agree with yeah, that so. honestly if you don't agree, you can at me, but I don't know how you yeah, can. I, I think the stats back up to the choice and the placement. Uh, my number two to move on with the list and kind of get this thing starting to wrap up here is Curtis Samuel. Uh, we've talked a little bit. I think, honestly, you have pretty much the exact same player just a couple years uh, later. He had his eliteness. Uh, but Curtis yeah. Samuel, to me, was the epitome of the player Urban Meyer looked for in recruiting. And his 2016 year where he legitimately carried the entire Ohio State offense to the college football playoff was enough to get him on this list at number two for me. Because I think when you look at it, uh, this is how crazy it was. He had 97 rushes for 771 yards, eight touchdowns. He had 74 catches for 865 yards and seven touchdowns. He was as effective as a running back. And as a receiver, and I know this is a receiver list, but he was an H-back. He was the peak H-back at Ohio State before the guy you're about to talk about. And I just think Curtis Samuel, when I broke down who's the most talented guys on this list, who really had the biggest impact, like, yes, it was one year, but Curtis Samuel legitimately carried an entire offense. Him and the JT Barrett quarterback power carried that offense to a college football playoff. Single Like, it was unreal. Single-handedly. What he was able to accomplish that year. Yeah. And I don't know how – like, yes, I think it was because it was so split he didn't get any Heisman love because if he had 1,600 rush yards or 1,600 receiving yards, uh, he would have probably been in New York. But guess what? Since it was so split and he was such a 
balanced player. I think it kind of got forgotten, but I think his year, his single year was the best single year of almost any Ohio State skill player I've ever seen. Yeah, no, I I agree with that 100%. Um, I have, like you said, the upgraded or the whatever, the step below Kate's Curtis Samuel, if you want to call it, Paris Samuel, uh, Paris Campbell Paris Samuel, that's a is good my shirt. number two. Um, <laughs> uh, but Curtis Samuel, man, like literally he, because, you know, Paris Campbell was a little bit better of a wide receiver than a running back. Curtis Samuel is the only true H-back Urban Meyer ever yeah. recruited. Uh, like, he was the mold. He is the player that Urban Meyer spent his entire career He's had two for. of them. And unfortunately, who is the one? Um, yes, I'm sorry. He is the player that Urban Meyer spent his entire OSU career looking for to replace, to to do anything like Percy Harvin. Uh, and I think the fact that Urban Meyer only had two in his entire career speaks to how hard it is, but it was Curtis Samuel. I mean, he literally was – do you know how how hard it is to be just as good of a running back as you are a wide receiver? nearly impossible, and that's why you rarely ever see it. Yeah, and I, I almost feel ashamed that he's not on my list, but I don't feel ashamed it's just, just so because, loaded. again, this list is just so stacked. Speak, you know, just to get to my number two, speaking of a senior single season, most of, you know, Paris Campbell's success came from one season, 2018, when he led um, the team. But I just want you to listen to this, how many records he has. This is ridiculous. He first of all, he was the last wide receiver we've had to hit a thousand yards, and he's one of only four or five. Ohio State does. Ohio State has a million wide receivers with seven hundred yards. We only have three, four or five total with a thousand yards, which says something. He's number seventh in reception all time. Number one in receptions in a season. Number nine in receptions a game. Number seventeen all time receiving yards. Number five in yards a season. So he's. We've had 5,000-yard receivers. He's number six all-time in yards a game and number four all-time touchdowns a season. Yeah, I, I think – That's ridiculous. Paris Campbell, I mean, his one year I, – I, it's unfortunate. We got two of the best athletes in Ohio State's history, and we only really got to see them peak one year. And uh, KJ yeah, – I, I mean, sorry, Paris Campbell and Curtis Samuel, uh, those two guys absolutely – I mean, I, I think I'm looking at his stats right now. I think they tried to do the Curtis Samuel experiment with him a little bit in 2017, but when he and it didn't when he moved to being a full time wide receiver, uh, it really took off, and he was absolutely on a different playing field that year, especially around the last four or five games. That's when you really saw him take that extra leap. I, I think the Michigan game was the prime example of. Pete Curtis or uh, Pete Paris Campbell. Sorry. I mean, Pete Curtis Samuel too. Like that's how similar these guys were. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but like at the end of the day, I think number two is a very deserving place for him for a one year guy in 15 years. I mean, like you said, there's been 5,000 yard receivers. I think David Boston has two of the thousand yard seasons. So that means there's only really four guys with thousand yard seasons in Ohio state history. And that's just an absurd accomplishment. Yeah. No, it is. And honestly, Paris Campbell is my favorite Ohio State wide receiver of all time. Uh, so he was going to be on my list regardless. I didn't expect him to be number two until I saw the fact that he has one, two, three, four, five. He has like eight 
records, but I knew he was going to be on my list because he's my favorite Ohio State wide receiver of all time, and he's on the Colts, and he's just so talented. Unfortunately, he's been injured the last two years, but I also think he's going to have a great NFL career because he's just oh, yeah. he is the epitome of a weapon. You're a Colts fan, so like it's extra good if he ends up being really awesome. Yes. <laughs> and then that takes us to number one, and I think what's going to wrap up our show, because what I... I uh, wanted to talk about it for best for last. This is actually the best for last because he is the best. And uh, I, I think if you guys listen to Buck Off before Land Grant Holy Land, if you guys have followed me on Twitter, Chris Olave is my favorite Ohio State football player of the 2000s so far. Like, I love Chris Olave more than anyone. He's a Southern California kid like myself. Uh, this is why we love him. He's number one. Uh, me and Jordan are probably both projecting a little bit here with his final season. But a lot of the records are in reach for him. I think he gets touchdowns. Reception is going to be tough because he's going to be splitting a lot of them. Yards, very much in the realm of possibility if he has a record-breaking single season, which, once again, very possible. I didn't think there was anybody else we could put at number one. No. No, not at all. I mean, he is easily, I think, the best wide receiver. I don't think it's close. You think about, you know, again, as – the stats guy or whatever. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it. he's 16 all time in catches, 16 all time in yards, number six all time in touchdowns, number four all time in touchdowns a season. There's a multiple people on my list who's number four. They've all had 12 for some reason, and he's number three all time in 100 yard games in a season. And legitimately, even the ones where he's at 16, it sounds far, but it's a bunch of ties. Yeah. Like literally, if he has two receptions, he's number 15. So I, I literally think he only needs like 40, 50 receptions to break into like number number two. And I think he needs like 60 or 70, which he's probably not going to get because of Garrett Wilson to be number one with yards. If he has an 1100 yard season, which is very possible, even with Garrett Wilson, if he has an 1100 yard season, he goes from 16 to number one all time. We already talked about touchdowns. We talked about touchdowns in a season. It's reasonable. He has more than 12 and gets that number one, two or three. Um, and again, it's important to note that he's doing this after a pandemic shortened season where they played what? Did they play six or seven? Uh, they played seven games. They played seven games. I don't know if the playoff count in your stats. If it, it does, does, he played nine, whatever. They, okay, they does. He played stats. nine games. He played nine games when he should have played 15. So think about if he would have had six These more games last year. Plus another, literally. Literally, if he had six games last year plus another 15 this year, he would be number one in just about every category that matters. And a shortened season, he's still probably going to be top five in every single And this is the guy with no yak skills. I have not seen him break off a yards after catch touchdown ever, I don't think. He's either catching a deep ball and already being passed everybody, or he's just catching a, like, 18, 20-yard pass consistently 100 times. He's like the – definition of like a thousand cuts to kill someone like that's Chris Olave. And then all of a sudden he just goes for the stab and he's in the end zone. It's, it's crazy that he does it with almost zero yards after catch. Yeah. I know I've already used this reference, but this is literally like when you play like your little brother or someone in Madden and you literally show them the route you're going to run. You're like, listen, I'm going to run a comeback to Chris Olave. Try to stop it. I'm not changing the play. Stop it. Do whatever you want to do. Stop it. Come back. Chris Olave. I'm going to catch it. Every and single time. It, and he catches it. 
every single time. Like, it, it, it literally got to a point where it felt like he ran three routes. He ran an out. He ran a comeback. He ran a post. And obviously, he ran more. But it's like every time he ran those three routes, he caught it every single time. Yeah, and it was good things to happen. And, you know, I'm always happy when Chris Malave gets on the show. Uh, I think if he ever wants to be a guest on Buck Off, he can honestly have a 15-minute segment every week. I don't even care. Like, he's my favorite player. So, Literally. like, welcome him on. Uh, Chris Alave, if you're listening to this, uh, I'm going to buy your jersey. I'm going to probably try to get it signed. And you know what? NIL. I'm going to pay you for all of it. So, uh, appreciate the love. That's how I want to sign out the show today with my message to Chris Alave. You got any last words for the audience, Jordan? If I did, I don't want to say it anymore. I think that was beautiful. Signing out the show with with a homage to Chris Olave, the best wide receiver in Ohio State history, and the wide receiver who's going to back up my prediction and get us a national championship. Yeah, and I think that's it. Uh, you guys know where to find Jordan, but I wanted to tell you guys anyways. Uh, he's got a new podcast in the Land Grant Holy Land feed. Uh, it's uh, about the Big Ten, and you guys can kind of get a holistic view with it. So make sure you guys are checking that out. I'll let him introduce it here. Yeah, it's called the I-70 Football Show. Um, you know, we talk a lot about Ohio State, but we wanted to give a podcast where Ohio State's not the focus. We talk about every school in the Big Ten, even Rutgers in Maryland. Um, we did our first show. Currently, we're doing our four tiers of non-playoff, non-bowl, bowl uh, ranked teams and then finally Big Ten championship contenders please check us out it's going to be fun if you care about the Big Ten if you don't just want to hear about Ohio State or how good Ohio State is although I will personally be saying that on the show uh, check us out yeah and you guys can find Jordan on Twitter at JordanW330 uh, you guys can find me at Chris Rennie CFB and you can find the show's page at Book Off Pod. make sure you subscribe and rate we got a new rating uh, four stars. I asked for five stars, so that was a little rude. But I appreciate the love on the feed. Let's keep them coming, guys. Uh, anything you guys want from us, you know where to find us. Uh, that's why we give you that information. We're not hiding from you guys. We're not. If you guys want to throw knives at us online, go for it. We want to give you guys the best show possible. So give it all. And that's how I want to close out the show. Season's coming. Camp started. Go Bucks. Go Bucks. <laughs>